And go ahead and open up your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 8, verse 22, to kick us off today. So Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 22. And as you turn there, I want us to think today about our vision, all right? We want to think about vision. We're not talking about where we're going in life personally or as a church today. We're talking about our ability to see. That's what we're talking about today. Um, And and I just want to know, you know, I just, sometimes you need to know you're not alone, right? And so if just, if you need a little bit of help with your physical vision, you could help me out by letting me know that. Anyone else today just need a little bit of help with your physical vision? If you could raise your hand online, friends, if you could just raise your hand up. Some of you have contacts, so it's not apparently obvious. I need hands up a little higher right now, please, so I can really, this is just making, I'm not alone. See, thank you very much for letting me know that I'm not the only one. You know, it was a real revelation for me. I didn't realize that, you know, I, I thought I was 2020, you know, I was like 2020 vision, of course, I've always had 2020 vision, and, that, you know, I was at this baseball game with my sister, and uh, couldn't read the scoreboard, like, you know, across the stadium, and, and I didn't think anything of it, you know, I thought, like, well, maybe there's something wrong with her vision, you know, like, and then about a year and a half later, <laughs> I go to the optometrist, and they're like, yeah, you need corrective lenses, you are myopic, you're nearsighted, you can't see things far away. And, and, and when, when I stepped out of the doctor's office, anyone have the experience? When I stepped out of the doctor's office with my new, you know, there were contacts at that point, uh, I just, it was like I entered another world. Like every limb on every tree and every leaf was so crisp and amazing, uh, just a, 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 an amazing experience. Well, uh, I went back to the eye doctor this past uh, week because it's been, you know, five, no judgment, please, but about five or six years since I got my eyes checked. And, uh, and as it turns out, Dr. I, that's the letter I, not, you know, <laughs> a little ironic, I know, but uh, Dr. I tells me, she said, hey, your vision's getting better. I'm, I'm like, of course it is. That's right. Pastor Tanner's seen a little bit clearer. You know, God's bringing his healing to, to me. And, and then she said, but that's common among people your age. And then she said, you'll be seeing me soon for reading glasses. I'm like, let a brother down easy, doc. Come on. I mean, really? Um, but, you know, I got, I got my new prescription, and then I went to Wabi Paka, you know what I'm saying? Uh, ordered some, some fresh new lenses, affordable lenses, and I'm even going to be looking fresher next Sunday, all right? Just, just a heads up in case you were, were wanting to know. <laughs> but, uh, but listen, listen, the, the question I have for us today is how is your vision. How is your vision? And clearly, I'm not as concerned about your, I'm concerned about your physical vision. We can pray about that. We can, you know, but uh, we can get you an eye appointment like me. I mean, whatever. But, um, but the, the real concern is how, how is your spiritual vision? It's one thing to see physically. It's another thing to see supernaturally. And Jesus wants us to not only see with our physical eyes, he wants us to see with our spiritual eyes. This is what we see here in Mark chapter 8. We we come to a story where it talks about Jesus bringing uh, physical vision to a man who was blind. But in the process, this story is parabolic in that it points us to our spiritual vision, how we see spiritually. And I'll show you that more 
as we work our way through this text. So let me read these verses for us, and we're going to jump right in today. This is what Mark writes. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Let's pray one more time. Father, we ask, just like the writer of Psalm 119, David would pray in verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your words. And so, God, today we, we recognize, we acknowledge that without your light, we will not see. And so, Father, we ask that you would send your light by your Holy Spirit. Help us to see beautiful things here in this story about Jesus, the truth that you have given us in your word, and God, that that truth would set us free, that that truth would help us see, perhaps for the first time, but yes, clearer and clearer and clearer as we journey with Jesus. That's our prayer today. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen. So once again... Jesus gets off the boat, and as we uh, have seen this in the story through Mark chapter 7 and 8, he's going from one side to the other, and now back to the other side, and so he and his disciples just get off the boat near the village of Bethsaida, which happened to be the home of three of his disciples, Peter, Andrew, and Philip. It's set on the northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And we're not surprised once again to find that as soon as Jesus is getting into the village, that people want his attention. Now, this time, thankfully, it wasn't the religious leaders in, with their ill intentions and their arrogance that are trying to test him and argue with him and debate and trap him in his words. But this time, there are some humble people who come to Jesus with a very serious need. We see this in verse 22. It says, And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. We've seen this before. Luke chapter 2, the, the paralytic, the man who was paralyzed, he's, he's being carried on a mat by four friends who, who lower him through a roof to get to Jesus. We saw this a chapter earlier in, Luke, in Mark chapter 7 where uh, the man who was deaf has friends who bring him to Jesus that Jesus might touch him. And here we are again. It's friends who bring another friend to Jesus, which always remind us of the privilege that we have as followers of Jesus to bring our friends to Jesus. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And these people are are clearly coming in faith. They're they're essentially saying, Jesus, here is our blind friend. 
and we've heard the stories, we've heard the reports. We, we may not know that you are God yet, but we know that God is with you. And so we know that if you would just touch him, if you would just, just simply with, with the power of your touch, you could restore his sight. Probably a man who had never seen anything in his life. Jesus, we know that if you touch him, he will be able to see perfectly. Just as perfect as we can see and you can see. And, and, and you and I both know, listen, in, in our world of high definition, in our world of retina displays and 500 megapixels on the, the phones that we, you know, carry in our pockets, we, we all value clarity of vision. The clearer, the better. God has made a beautiful world for us to see and to see clearly. And so listen, we, we know it's annoying if you can't see clearly, but it is one of life's greatest burdens if you can't see at all. And this man had been blind for, for years, perhaps his whole life. He's in a desperate situation, but when they come to Jesus, this man immediately meets the hope of deliverance. Why? Because Jesus has the power to heal him. And I use the word deliverance in, intentionally. When, when we're delivered from something, we're set free. The, 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 the physical blindness that he carried were like chains on his life and his soul brought so many limitations to him. And he comes to Jesus to be delivered from his physical ailment. And I love what Jesus does in verse 23. If, if you look back, what does it say? It says, Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. I mean, just picture, this is such, a, such a, an important practice when you're reading the Bible, to just sometimes pause and visualize what's happening because, you know, we were taught to read and, and, you know, get our reading comprehension up. And, you know, part of the way that we know about, you know, our ability to read is how fast we read. And sometimes we read so fast that we miss the details of the story and don't really take them in. And so just picture, just picture Jesus in the midst of a, of a village, dozens, maybe hundreds of people around and clamoring for his attention and maybe other people were bringing sick people to him or just saying, Jesus, we heard you teaching in these parables and we want to hear more parables. We want to hear your teaching. We want you to open the scriptures and teach us the, the word of God. And yet Jesus takes this blind man. With great care and compassion, he leads him out of the village for some one-on-one -on -one time. And this is just so compelling to me about the heart of Christ. If you want to know what our God is like, listen, Jesus loves the crowds. He loves the masses. We just saw last week how he fed 4,000 people at one time from just seven loaves of bread and a few fish. So yes, Jesus cares about the crowd. He cares about the six million people in the greater Boston area. But Jesus cares about you. Jesus cares about you personally. Jesus loves individual people. Did you know that Psalm 139 verse 18 says that God's thoughts toward you, not humanity, not all of the 7 billion people, whatever in the world, okay, that God's thoughts toward you, 
put your name on it, they are more than the grains of the sand in the world. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God cares about you. And I, if, if you haven't heard that verse before, or that's like, you know, a refresher and you haven't heard it in a while, okay, if you're anything like me, you're just kind of stunned right now, your mind is blown, like God, that God would even have one thought. That God would have one thought about me. Fallen, imperfect, sinful me is mind-blowing, but that his thoughts toward me are more than the grains of the sand. You've got to be kidding me, Jesus. Let that fall on your heart today. God loves you like that. God knows you like that. There has never, I'm going to preach in this a little bit. God, there's never been a moment where God took his eyes off you. The time that you didn't think God cared about you, he never left. He's always chasing us down with his love. Yes, God loves the crowd, but he loves us as individual people. And then it's kind of crazy, speaking of crazy, verse 23 goes on and it says that Jesus, <laughs> I mean, you know, wish you could have been there just to like, it says that Jesus spat in the man's eyes. <laughs> like, you want to ask me the theology behind that? You want to ask me, like, Pastor Tanner, can you point to some Old Testament text that tells us why Jesus, you know, spat? Like, I don't know. Well, was there power in his saliva? I mean, maybe. Or, or was it that Jesus was just wanting to make the moment all the more memorable, like just the, the different uh, sensory, you know, uh, experiences, and, and that Jesus, he would never forget? I mean, that doesn't seem necessary. I'd, we don't know why Jesus did that. But what we do know is that when Jesus did that and he laid his hands on the man's eyes, that his power started flowing into this man's life. And we know that because Jesus asked him the simple question, do you see anything? And this once blind man opens his eyes and he says, I, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Just like who, we don't know if these were his friends or, you know, that brought him to Jesus or maybe some of Jesus' disciples, probably either or, but but he starts to see people walking around, but there's not clarity. There's not the, the perfect restoration of sight. And so what happens then is that Jesus, verse 25, laid his hands on his eyes again to bring perfect restoration of sight. Our God is the God of the second touch. <laughs> Jesus, if, if not the first time, whether that's, you know, something going on with me or just my, my, my you know, slow kind of progress and growth, okay, like, Jesus will touch you twice. God is a God who finishes what he starts. I know Pastor Reddy loves Philippians 1.6. If you ever hear Pastor Reddy pray, he's probably going to pray Philippians 1.6. Am I right, Pastor Reddy? 
For, for, for I am sure of this, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. God always finishes what he starts. He always accomplishes his good purposes in our lives. And to help us see that this restoration was, was complete, Mark stacks up terms to, to communicate this dramatic, perfect healing power of Jesus. In verse 25, it says that he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. What is happening in these moments is not simply just the healing of a man's physical sight as amazing and commendable and as fired up as we should be about that. But Jesus in living color, in real time, is showing his disciples, showing this man and his friends, showing the people of Bethsaida and all all over the place that he is the fulfillment of God's promised Messiah 700 years earlier, Isaiah 35, where it says, be strong to God's people, fear not. Maybe you need to hear that today, so I'm going to say it again. Be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come. Your God will come. The eyes of the blind shall be opened. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. With every miracle Jesus performed, listen, heaven was touching earth. Every good deed Jesus performed, he was showing people a picture of the coming kingdom of God. Every word of love, every time he taught, Jesus is, is, is bringing forth the restoration of shalom, which refers to, to God's peace, not just the absence of conflict, but flourishing and wholeness that our hearts long for. Why? Because that's how God made it in the beginning and that's one day what we will all experience if we follow Jesus. We will experience God's shalom forever. That's what's happening in Mark chapter 8. But there is more going on to the story than meets the eye. If we were to just read verses 22 through 26 and say, hey, Jesus, you can do it. You can restore people's physical sight. You're an amazing God. That would be great. That would be a start. But that wouldn't be the full story. We have to see what is happening around this story to understand the fullness of what Jesus is doing in these moments. If we were to zoom out and we were to remember what happens at the end of chapter 7 when Jesus heals this deaf man, we would see striking parallels with the healing of the deaf man and the healing of the blind man. Let me just recap them for you. They both have a group of people who bring their friend to Jesus. That's number one. Number two, both sets of friends beg Jesus to touch their impaired friend. Number three, Jesus takes each man away privately. Number four, Jesus touches the impaired organ, the ears, and the eyes. Number 
5, he actually uses his own spit (laughs) each time. And then finally, after he heals them, he tells them both not to spread the news. In other words, that was all about timing. It wasn't uh, to hide the fact that he is the Messiah, but the timing of that because he knew people would rush to try to make him king. And his kingdom is not an earthly political kingdom, but it is a, a spiritual heavenly kingdom that will one day fully come in all its glory. You say, okay, Pastor Tanner, uh, that's great. You know, you studied a little bit. You know, you made all the parallels, the six or seven parallels that we saw right there. Okay, so what? Well, well, where was Jesus just before he was, he had come to Bethsaida? Anybody remember? He was, he was on the sea in a boat. And what's happening on the boat? I mean, just remember, uh, he has just gotten in a, in, a, in a little argument with, you know, the, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders who demanded a sign. And Jesus said, I ain't giving you no sign. I'm out of here. And then he gets back in the boat and we would think, you know, things would go from, from worse to better, but they actually go from, from bad to worse. Because his disciples forget to bring bread and Jesus says, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and and Herod. And and the the disciples don't understand that he's talking about their teaching and their way of life to watch out and to to be discerning and to, to not follow the ways that they are not reflecting the ways of God. And they totally miss it. And Jesus is like, why are you talking about bread again? And what does Jesus say in verses 17 and 18? Listen, 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 listen. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having what? Eyes? Do you not see? And having ears? Do you not hear? Jesus heals a man who can't hear at the end of chapter 7. He heals a man who is blind in the middle of chapter 8. In between what happens? Jesus is saying... You can't, you can't hear spiritually. You can't see spiritually. What's going on here? This is why scholars would tell us that the, the healing of the blind man happening in successive stages from the first touch to the second touch is, is a picture of how the disciples are moving from, from little spiritual vision to increasing spiritual vision. They're growing in their ability to see who Jesus is, what his kingdom is like, and and what God has for us as we follow him. Like us, they were growing through gradual illumination. Their ability to truly hear and to truly see was becoming clearer and clearer. And I believe this is what Mark is trying to teach us through this story and its specific ordering in, in the, 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 the flow of his, his gospel. Mark wants us to see that we can come to Jesus for clearer spiritual vision to see as he sees. That's the invitation for you today. Come to Jesus for clearer spiritual vision. And here's the goal, to see as he sees. To see the world, to see your life, to see the lives of people around you like he sees them. You say, well, Tanner, how does this, 
how does this all work? So I just want to do a little teaching in terms of, of a theology of sight, in terms of how we receive sight and how we can increase the clarity of our spiritual vision, okay? Number one, we have to actually receive spiritual sight. This is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Okay, to, to begin, we have to hear the truth of the gospel, the good news about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It begins with the, the light of the gospel. You know that there, where there is no light, there is no sight. Have you ever woke, woken up in the middle of a dark room and, and, and you, you, you open your eyes, but... What do you see? You don't see Jack, right? Like you can't see anything if the room is pitch black because you need light, the light of the sun or the, thank God for Thomas Edison and, you know, electricity. And so this is what Paul says about the light of the gospel. He says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but just by an open statement of the truth, telling it the way that it is, the facts are the facts, we commend ourselves to everyone in the conscience, to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So here's the light of the gospel. What is the light of the gospel? It's the open statement of truth. It's, it's the message of Jesus Christ and, and who he is and what he's done and what God has done through him, for us, for the world. But there's a problem. We all have an enemy that wants to keep us from seeing, from truly understanding and receiving the message of the gospel that we might be saved. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're hearing these words and, and, and you know that life is just foggy and fuzzy and, and you don't have a, a real relationship with God. It's something that you're interested in, but, but you, you've never truly entered into a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And one of the explanations for that is that the God of this world has blinded your eyes. This is the blinding work of sa Satan. Paul goes on, and even if our gospel is veiled where something is over one's eyes and can't see, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In other words, the people who are dying apart from the grace of God. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from what? Seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You say, well, what do, what do we do? What do we do about this? How can we receive spiritual sight if, if, if we don't have the ability and, and, and the God of this age has blinded our minds to understand, to truly see Jesus for who he is and what he's done? What do we do about it? It's less about what we do about it and more about what God does about it. We need the overpowering light of Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, here it is. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. He's talking about creation. He's talking about Genesis 1. He's talking about God speaking words of, of life and light entering into our world. 
He says, this God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So this is how it works. We hear that like right now, I am here and I am speaking the truth of God. Jesus is God. He's the son of God. He's the promised Messiah. He lived a perfect life. He died a a substitutionary cruel death in our place for our sin, that our sin would no longer separate us from God, but that we might be reconciled to God through his death and his resurrection. So that if we would turn from our old way of living and trust in Jesus, that we would find life, abundant life now, eternal life forever. That is the open statement of the truth of Jesus. And as people are sharing, the, whether it's in a sermon on Sunday, thank you with a microphone, or whether you're, you know, hanging out over a cup of coffee with a friend or at work, and you're just talking about life and anxieties and fears and whatever, and you just point people to Jesus and why he came and what he's done the open statement of the truth, then is the atmosphere by which God himself shines his light into the human heart. By which we then see Jesus for who he is, by which we then are saved. I'm just telling you, if you believe in Jesus today, you believe because that's what happened. And if you don't yet believe in Jesus, listen, you, this may be happening for you right now. God is shining his light into your heart. And, and you're saying, I need Jesus. I want this, this Savior who can not only give me physical sight, but can give me spiritual vision, a vision for life. If that's you today, I would just plead with you to, to call on God's name and say, God, I need you in my life. I know that, that the way I've lived my life was not for you, that, that you aren't first in my life, but I want to make you first. I want to make you the greatest priority and treasure of my life. And I commit to follow you because you're shining your light into my heart. That's how we receive spiritual vision. But it's not enough just to receive it. I hope you know that God wants you to see clearer and clearer. He he wants you to see with the eyes of Christ every single day, wherever you are. I'm even talking about at work. When you're doing your thing and you're fulfilling the next project or you're going to the next meeting or you're serving the next person or whatever it is that that you're doing, that you can see everything, even your boss. I'll say it again. Somebody need to hear that. Even your boss. Like Jesus would see them in those moments, in everything. So, so you say, okay, Pastor Tanner, help me out with that. How do, we, how do we obtain clearer spiritual vision? Number one, seek his presence. You might want to write these down. I'm going to give you six. Seek his presence. Psalm 36 verse 9 says, with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. How do we see how do we see? We, we have the light of God shining, and then we see clearly. It comes from being in his light, in his presence. What did Jesus say in John chapter 8, verse 12? I am the light of the world. 
Whoever believes in me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you want to see, you get connected to God through Jesus, and he will light your life up. He will light up your path. That's why we keep talking about there's no replacement for personal, face-to-face, focused time with God where we're in the light of his presence and we're worshiping and we're walking with him, not just in the morning for at least 15 minutes or whatever, but we're walking with him throughout our day in his presence. Seek his presence, number one. Number two, pray and ask God. You say, well, Pastor Tanner, like this, is, this stuff is too simple. Give me more, okay? I didn't make up the, the guidelines or the rules or the, 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 the principles of, of God's kingdom. I, for one, am thankful that God doesn't make it super complicated. Just ask. Ask God, God, more light. Sometimes I just pray that. More light today, God. More light. I need your light. I want to see like you see. God, open the eyes of my heart. That's what, that's what Paul's praying in Ephesians chapter 1. He says this, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. What's what's Paul doing? He's praying that these people who follow Jesus will have the eyes of their hearts enlightened with more light so they can see clearly. So if you if you want to know how to pray for people this week, pray like this. God, open their eyes by your spirit. Help them see. Help them see what you see. Number three, immerse yourself in Scripture. Psalm 119, 104, it says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And notice that I use the word intentionally, immerse yourself. Immerse yourself in in Scripture, okay? I I don't know about you, but I just find that that we're pretty comfortable, myself included. We're, We're super comfortable with like immersing ourselves in many other things in life. But then when it comes to like the things of God or, or especially the, the Bible, it's like, oh, I don't want to be a legalist. I don't want to, you know, if I spend too much time or I read too much or, you know, more than a couple chapters. And it's like, I mean, Paul told Timothy, he said, practice these things, immerse yourself in them. First Timothy 4.15. What does it mean to be immersed? I mean, we think about language. I always love when I, I, I meet uh, so many people in our church that English is their second language. Because how that usually happens is what? Through immersion. Through being a part of a culture where English is the primary language and just through hearing it and speaking it and learning, just the immersion helps you learn it faster. And I just admire them because guess what? Guess how many languages your boy speaks? Uno. Pun intended, I mean, yeah, I, that's like, I, I know about 10 Spanish words. Um, uno, dos, tres, no. <laughs> you hear me, right? We immerse ourselves in the language of God. This is the language of God, the Holy Scriptures. We just immerse ourselves. And, and when you immerse yourself in the Scripture, you're going to start thinking like God thinks. You're going to start seeing things the way that he sees them. And your life is going to change. But it's not, listen, listen to this, it's not just knowledge. 
because you could actually know all 60, you could memorize all 66 books and not see. It's not enough to know it if you don't live it. God hasn't given us information just to give us kind of fat heads. He's given us his truth so that we would have holy lives. Number four, pursue purity. Pursue purity. You want to see God? Pursue purity. You want to see God? The, the things that you read about in the morning, seek to put them into practice. I'm talking about patience. I'm talking about, you know, uh, setting aside unrighteous anger. Jesus puts it like this in Matthew 5, 8. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You want to see God? Pursue purity of heart. We need to understand that nothing will cloud our spiritual vision. And believe me, I've been there. I speak from experience today. Nothing will cloud your spiritual vision like sin. Yes, we still use the word sin at Redemption Hill Church. Sin is missing the mark. It's, it's rebelling against God's ways. It's saying, God, I know best in this situation, so I'm going to do my own thing. And we, and we saw it in, in chapter 7. I can just look right here and start reading. Evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, envy, wanting what others have, slander, pride, folly. All of these are evil things that come out of our life. And, and God is saying, look, do away with them. Pursue purity and you will see clearer and clearer. Confess your sin today. Maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's just your best and first step is just to say, God, this and this and what I did last night and what I said to them this week and how I responded to that person when they cut me off at the rotary for the 15th time this month. Okay, like, I agree with you that it doesn't look like Jesus. And I need you to clean me up because I want to see you. Then number five, listen, walk by faith. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5, 7? He says, walk by faith and not by sight. And this is where all of it starts to kind of come together and we see how this works because you say, well, how do we walk by faith? Well, we immerse ourselves in Scripture. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. And when we just sang about it, I think, or there's another song so much like, Lord, I need you, give me faith. Like, that's a prayer. God, give me more faith. Help me to see, like, my experiences in, in my life like you see them. And then, of course, as we often talk about, if you want to grow in faith, if you want to walk by faith, then live a life that requires you to walk by faith. And what I mean by that is step out, take a risk, love somebody in Jesus' name. Even when, like, here's one, get out of your comfort zone. That's how we grow in faith. That's how we walk by faith, not by sight. You see the parallel there between physical vision and spiritual vision. 
Paul's saying, look, we, we, we live, we move, we, we go from one place to the other, not by our physical eyes, but by our spiritual eyes. And then finally, this is to kind of, again, summarize, but, but we see the call, we heard it already in Ephesians 1, live by the Spirit. This is why I was so fired up last week about Pentecost Sunday and God giving us his Holy Spirit because there's nothing that we do in our lives as Christians that doesn't happen by the Holy Spirit. There's nothing good that we will ever do for Jesus that doesn't happen by the Holy Spirit. And if we were to read the whole, this whole section again, but look at the end, it says, he's praying that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, what may give you a spirit capital S, of wisdom and revelation. Before he says, having the eyes of your heart. Like, that's, that's, that's how it works, but it's the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life that helps you to see. We're asking God. We're asking God for clear vision. I want to go ahead and invite the, the music team up and they're going to lead us in some, some song, a song. And, but as they come, I, I, know, I know you may be like, okay, Pastor Tanner, we talked about physical vision. We talked about spiritual vision. You've, you've talked about how we can receive spiritual vision. If that's you today, we want to walk with you. Let us know that you want to follow Jesus to receive spiritual sight. And Pastor Tanner, you've given me six ways that I can pursue clearer vision spiritually in my life. But, but here's an important question. How will you know? How will you know that you are growing in your ability to see? Well, if we were just to continue reading Ephesians chapter 1, this is what it says. Paul goes on. After he prays for spiritual vision, he says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come? And so there's your answer. As we often teach at Redemption Hill, you, you want to know, like if you have a question, keep reading. You want to know what spiritual vision is like? Just keep reading because the next verse, Paul spells it out. If you are seeing with, with, with hope, if you are seeing the, the inheritance that belongs to you as a son or daughter of God and that keeps you going, you're seeing more clearer and clearer. If you know the power that God has given us by the Holy Spirit, the same power that God worked when he raised Jesus from the dead. This is how we know that we're seeing clearer and clearer. To these faith, hope and in, in, in our inheritance and in power, we could add questions like these. Do we see God more clearly, not just when we're worshiping or when we're reading our Bible, but throughout the day? Do we see other people through the eyes of love, through a spiritual point of view? Go read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. Do we see ourselves as God sees us? 
loved, honored, cherished. Here's one. Are you seeing the brokenness around you? The injustice around us? Clearer. Conversely, are you seeing the imprints of the kingdom of God, the reflections of God's image all around us? Are you seeing that clearer and clearer? Do you see your experiences through the eyes of faith where both opportunity and suffering are part of God's good purposes? Do you see what God is doing and want to join him in it? This is what Jesus says in John 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son, speaking of himself, can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. That's how I want to live my life. That's the verse I've been praying more than any other in 2021. God, show me what you're doing because I want to be in step with you. Not living according to Tanner's agenda and Tanner's plans, but following what you're doing. Do you ever see at times what other people can't see? This was Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6 when he was with his servant and his servant is all scared because there are armies surrounding the city. And Elijah just prays, God, would you open up his eyes? Would you open up his eyes because those who are for us are more than those who are against us. And it says at the end of that in verse 17, so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God had them covered. Elisha could see it. He could see what his servant couldn't see. So I'm just inviting us today to a a clearer vision. And it begins by just asking. So I just want to invite you just to close your eyes and to open your hands. And to ask God for, for spiritual sight. If you've never called on the name of Jesus, if you've never confessed Jesus as the Lord of your life and committed your life to live for him, then do that today. Receive spiritual sight. Just say, God, I need you. I need the life Jesus died to bring me. I commit my life to following him all the days of my life. But then for the rest of us, just in a posture of humility and openness, would you just say, God, help me see. Help me see what you see. Help me see like you see. Oh, God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit moving in power opening our eyes to see, giving us clear and clear vision. We want to see like you see, God. In Jesus' name.